Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a bodybuilder. Rob Fortress Fortney, former editor at uh, Muscle Man International, former competitive bodybuilder and uh, failed powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens, and if you don't know me, you don't know nothing, so I'm just ending it right there. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run liftforhope.org and strengthfield.com. And today we have uh, Paul Carter. I, I made, was made aware of Paul through a uh, mutual friend, Jim Windler. Um, Paul's been training for, well, decades. Lifts completely raw, no belt, no wraps, just a generally strong guy. Played football for uh, 13 years, trained martial arts for 20 years. Um, runs a blog called Lift, Run, Bang, um, which has really exploded over the last year or two. And... Uh, Getting ready to compete in the UPA Nationals this year and put up a big total. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Phil. I appreciate it. So, um, just we'll run back to the basics. We kind of always like to start. How did you get a start in, uh, I guess, the iron game or, or lifting weights? Um, back when I was 13 or 14, I ended up uh, traveling cross-country all the way up to, to Oregon uh, to, uh, to train in martial arts up there with this guy by the name of uh, Rob Baskew and uh, I ended up uh, living with uh, him and his parents while I was training out there, and, and uh, Rob was lifting. He would get me up every morning to take me to the gym, and we had this terrible, terrible routine. It was more like bodybuilding um, then, and, but the routine was like go in Monday and do like chest all morning, and then go eat lunch and come back and do back all afternoon. Um, and I remember the very next day I woke up after the first workout, I was literally paralyzed. Um, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, like, literally couldn't move out of the bed, and, and him and his mom had to, like, help me out of the bed and, like, into, like, a hot bath, um, and then I, he had this big Toyota truck uh, that you had to step up into, so, like, reaching out and grabbing and pulling myself up into that thing was a nightmare, and, and then we go in the next day and do, like, arms for the entire morning, go eat lunch and come back and do legs for the whole afternoon, and then during all this time, I was still I was training six to eight hours a day in martial arts, so I was getting the shit beat out of me all day long. And when you imagine <laughs> as sore as you've ever been, getting kicked and punched and thrown all about a room, um, it was not a pleasant experience. But after a few weeks, um, I was pretty much hooked, and uh, it kind of just took from there, and, and I've been training ever since. Well, that was a little, uh, you know, training weights for martial arts was a little uh, not regular back then, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah, they, it, you know, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, people don't even realize is that just even back then, you know, that was, you know, like 22, 23 years ago or so for me. And, um, you know, martial artists back then, they didn't lift a lot. It was still kind of the whole, you know, well, lifting weights will make you big and slow. Mm -hmm. and, um, it was, it was still kind of frowned upon a lot of ways, you know, make you tight and you can't move. And you know, we didn't have the, obviously the transition over into MMA like we see now that hadn't happened yet. So it was, yeah, still kind of a thing where it was more taboo to be a, like a lifter and a martial artist. I mean, you've had it over the years, but, it, you know, it was still kind of in the infancy stages as far as that goes. So, um, and then after a while, I gravitated more to lifting, and you know, I, I still ended up getting my black belt later in, in Kenpo, but uh, 
Uh, lifting has been my first love as far as that goes at times for the most part. So when did you start competing then? Um, I actually, I started, I was going to compete many years ago, um, but I'm kind of a walking injury now. <laughs> I know you guys probably yeah. don't have that problem. Oh, no. Yeah. No. But uh, probably been competing about six, actually competing for about six years. Um, and still, like like a lot of guys, I'm like Rob said, I'm, I failed powerlifting too. I haven't actually gone out and, and feel like put out my mess day, but um, kind of like Ernie Lillybridge told me when I was at the USPF Nationals this past summer, he said, you're always going to be chasing a number, you know, so might as well just, you know, hunker down and get ready for that. Yeah, once you get 18, you'll want 19. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, because I'm going to retire after 18. Yeah, you say that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your, your training's getting ready to start for for, um, for that here coming up in a few weeks. Um, uh, you want to touch on that at all and what, what you got planned? Yeah, the, uh, the I'm going to go up to Iowa for the UPA Nationals. Um, they run uh, uh, that meet every year in the uh, – I don't know if you guys know the Lillibridge clan with Eric and Ernie and those guys. Um, Eric's that, uh, he's like that 22-year-old kid. I think he pulled 800 by the time he was 18. And uh, I think he's got an 826 squat and like a 500 or 530 bench and uh, all raw. And his dad's a strong guy, too. And uh, uh, they were at, they came out to the Nationals uh, for this past summer when I was there. And we had a great group of guys, and they wanted me to come up uh, in April uh, to compete with them. So I actually dropped into the 242 class because uh, I didn't like sitting on the couch breathing heavy and the 275 class. So uh, I got back in shape and, and I'm getting ready to uh, – I get training for that starts in like a couple of weeks, and that will be in April. Gotcha. And your plans are hitting at 1,800 total, is that correct? Yeah, I'd like to go um, like 660, uh, 470, 700, um, no belt, no wraps. So let's talk about your uh, your blog you run. You, how, how'd that get started? Um, well, probably a couple of ways. Back uh, a couple of years ago when Jim and I started talking, um, I think I don't know if me and you talked about this, Phil. I think we did. But Jim and I, for a while, we had an email uh, going back and forth that we, we literally would not create a new email. We kept replying to the same email for like two years. And we have an email now that's got like a 1,000-plus replies on it. Um, and I'm sure somebody would probably pay big money to have all the information in that yeah. email. But uh, we kind of started talking about stuff, and Jim and I passed back and forth a lot of ideas about, about training, and I would just write, like, whole ideas out in these email about training. I thought, well, why not just kind of put it out there for, for people to read? Um, and I started uh, writing on it, you know, during that time. And uh, I think, like, the first, like, two months, like, I literally got zero hits. Um, and, uh, it's fun to keep writing on a blog where nobody reads. <laughs> so, yeah. but I, I kept writing stuff and Jim was like, man, that's really great. And then he asked me if I wanted to start submitting some of this for Elite and I did. And, uh, Elite has some of my articles up out. And, uh, after that, then obviously people, some people started coming my way. So uh, I just, uh, and then, you know, Jim ended up leaving Elite and I just kind of kept writing on the blog. And since then, you know, that was probably three years ago. And since then, things have just kind of taken off uh, as far as the blog goes. And um, and plus, I, I really enjoy writing. So it's kind of a dual outlet. Is that I mean, I actually just like writing and do a lot of writing. And uh, so for as 
you know, the only thing I'm really going to write about this for the blog is lifting stuff. So although I do, I, I put a lot of stuff out there, like new movie reviews and music and and bullshit like that, and I comment on sports sometimes too. So it's just kind of a nice outlet for me. Yeah. What what is your what are your plans for the blog? I mean, just that, just an outlet for yourself, or? Um, I mean, I, I want to grow more of it. Um, but I'm not, it sounds funny, I'm, I'm not really a, like a business guy. You know, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit, yeah. Phil. It's, 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 it's more along the lines of kind of doing what you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, so I, I sometimes have trouble selling myself because, um, I mean, I put so much stuff out there basically free, um, that, uh, you know, it's hard for me to like to ask, okay, here, I want you to buy this for me. But, yeah. I mean, if you want to, kind of one of those catch 22, you don't, when you do something you love, you don't mind giving it to people. But after a while, if you want to do that as a way to support yourself, you have to turn into a businessman at the same time. Yeah, that's tough for sure. I mean, we, we kind of know the same feeling here. Lonnie, how much are we making an episode now? I forgot. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll take the Mitt, Mitt Romney reply and I'll say 10000 only 10000 for episode. <laughs> I'll bet you 10000 that it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it's a big zero. <laughs> we're in year four now and we're really raking it in. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I feel the same way. And then it's, it's yeah, it's definitely hard to make that, that transition too. But I mean, at some point you have to, for sure. But, um, Especially with a blog or a business type thing. I mean, I don't think we ever will with this, but um, uh, but it's fun to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, we come in once a week and and, and have fun doing it. So um, yeah, and and you know that sometimes uh, in life, um, especially when uh, when you have the tsunami shit wave coming at you, it's, it's those things that kind of help make your days a little better at times too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, well, we're going to take a break and come back, and we're going to talk some training. Awesome. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> your weekly fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it Okay, we're back, and uh, before we get on to the training and the topic of the day, um, Lonnie, myself, both have a couple announcements. Go ahead, Lonnie. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah. Well, the first thing, Phil, I know you've been playing with that uh, Zio Sleep Manager. I just wanted to get your impressions on that because I w- I've been playing with that for the last few nights, and you know, we promised we would uh, you know, give our honest opinion of it. 
No, I was pretty shocked when I got in there. I knew my sleep was horrible, but, <laughs> but yeah. this thing kind of confirmed it. Um, I was getting like, uh, it was, you know, I'm like four hours of sleep and oh. waking up like 23 <laughs> times a night type of thing. Um, I'd get like six minutes of REM sleep. Um, I made some of those changes that they had in that little two-week thing. Um, mm-hmm. I need to get on and test it again because my, my sleep is considerably better. So I need to get on there and run that again. But I think it's it's a pretty interesting deal. I mean, I was kind of wasn't sold on it until uh, I think it was like day five. Um, I woke up in a dream, and I immediately grabbed the thing and looked at it, and it showed me that I was in REM sleep. Um, so I was like, wow, that, that's kind of neat. You know, I don't know how the hell it works, but I'm not a science guy, but uh, it seems to be a pretty solid little device. Yeah, there's some good science behind it. I, I just played with it for a few nights in a row here, but uh, I was actually reluctant because if you look in the iTunes store, there's a lot of very negative reviews. Oh, really? And, and you know, I, I'm the last man on earth to have a smartphone, so I finally got, you know, an iPhone, and I was fussing, you know, oh, I don't want this to freeze up my phone, and... It no, it didn't freeze up my phone, and even if it did, I'm sure I just uninstall the app. But the point is, yeah, the app was free. I think these things go for like a, I think they're a hundred dollars for the headband or something. But the headband was soft, you know. It's not like it kept me up all night. I thought I was going to be, you know, swiping this off my head like I was swatting gnats at night or something. And no, it was good. And so, yeah, yeah the first night I was actually shocked. I knew I got a lousy night's sleep, but when it said I got like six and a half hours sleep, and I'm like, well, I got eight, didn't I? But you know you got to remember if you're laying just because you're horizontal for eight hours doesn't mean you got eight hours of sleep. Exactly. You know? And yeah, my deep sleep and REM sleep were were pathetic. So yeah, yeah, it's just a cool way. It's just like you log something in a training log. It's a sleep log. You know. So um, I, I think the packaging is very professional. Everything. So it, I, it's pretty cool. I'm going to continue to play with it. You know, the real proof in the pudding, I guess, will be if it continues to work this well. Uh, over the weeks and months, you know, yeah. but I'm going to continue to play with it. So far, I'm I'm tickled with it. You know, REM sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, total amount. It'll give you your sleep score. Yeah. You know. You know, you know what would be cool, guys, is if if you have a wet dream, it woke you up by playing some '70s guitar solo. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> that we'll have to have him add it to the app. Right. <laughs> you got some cheesy, then, yeah, cheesy really funky '70s playing. music. <laughs> yeah, and a disco ball drops from the ceiling. That would be good. Wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay. There it is. Um, yeah. No, I, I was impressed. I thought it'd wake me up too, but it, uh, it didn't mess with me having it on my head. I could sleep, and I'm a horrible sleeper. So now, for um, people out there, I was just going to say who. And again, just to be fair consumer-wise, I've also noticed there's something out there for people with iPhones. I don't know how much the app costs, but you can actually set an iPhone on your mattress. Uh, and I actually sleep on the floor a lot, so this wouldn't work for me. But you could, there's another one called the Sleep Cycle Timer or something like that, or Sleep Cycle Alarm Clock. And it's supposed to wake you up when you're in light sleep in the morning. And it got rave reviews, too, but you'd have to have a, you know, a mattress to set it. It uses the accelerometer in the iPhone or something. And my other question we'll have to find out is, are these available for Android and, and whatnot? Well, so. this thing wakes you up, too, won't it? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, you can set and it to where it'll so wake you up. It's so professional, too. I yeah. mean, the, everything from the packaging, it was all very cool. But uh, Oh, and hey, before we move on, two things. One, this is just ridiculous news, but <laughs> Fortress, you know, you were talking about going through toilet seats. Well, I made it for months, but there, boom, I just broke one. Nice. So, oh, finally. <laughs> Why well, don't well, weigh 300 pounds like you do? Yeah, but a man has to at least break one toilet seat in his life. Well, yeah, so got to go buy one. So anyway, that's sort of the Fortress bathroom uh, news. <laughs> and then... <laughs> 
lastly, just as an announcement, uh, I'm, I'm still pushing people to make some comments on iTunes. We actually had several, so thank you for anybody who's done that. Uh, we're just competitive by nature, and we only have around 80 uh, or so uh, reviews, and they're very good reviews, so thank you for that. But we're trying to get more because I've seen a couple of really sorry podcasts um, you know, part of that shit wave that was mentioned earlier of just nonsense that gets, you know, fl- flooded through the Internet. And, you know, they have more reviews than we do. That's not cool because, you know, popularity is judged by the number of, you know, votes and reviews you get. So this is just a call to listeners. I'm still bribing people. If they get five people to vote for us on iTunes, uh, just speak your mind. You don't have to fake the vote and tell us how awesome we are. Um, speak your mind. Five votes. Send Rob or I an email through ironradio.org, and I will send you a gift. You don't want my gifts, so don't email me. Um, I wanted to mention, again, the, the PowerMax discount that they're offering. It's the same barbell that we gave away um, from February 7th, uh, January 17th to February 18th. Go to gillathletic.com. You can see the uh, link on the Iron Radio Facebook page. And when you check out, enter promo code IRWP2012, you get 15% off. So about $28 off. Um, in the bad deal. So. Yeah. So we'll move on and, uh, talk some shop now. Um, again, we got Paul Carter on the line. Paul, thanks for joining us again. And, uh, wanted to talk about the 80-10-10 rule that you, that you use. Um, I'm going to let you take it from there. Just, just kind of explain what this is. Yeah, the uh, the eighty ten ten is actually something I and I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I think it's something I may have gotten from Dan John. Um, it's just kind of a it's kind of a high level overview of grading your training sessions, um, and basically it's what you how you look at it is is that eighty eighty percent of the workouts that you ever have um, in your what I call your training life are just going in and getting your work done. I mean that's the majority of sessions you're ever going to have is like you go in. You get your sets and reps in. Now, I don't mean you're sleepwalking through it. You're working. But, you know, you're not busting out PRs and, you know, uh, banging the yoga instructor, you know, in the bathroom between sets and stuff. Um, that would be, you know, a plus 10% session. So, you know, you have the 80% sessions, and this is, you know, basically being consistent. Then you have what I call like a negative 10% session where it's those days where you go in and you feel like shit, Um and I don't know if you guys do this, but I can do it. I can tell when I'm loading up the bar if it's going to suck. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as you pick up a 45 and I start putting it on, I can kind of have an idea of what that session is going to kind of feel like. And those are when everything feels heavy and, you know, your joints don't feel good and you're just having just an overall shitty day. I call those kind of a negative 10% session. And then you have the plus 10% sessions, um, you know, where you hit PRs, everything feels light. You feel like you could always put another 45 on each side of the bar. Um, everything goes fantastic. Um, and kind of, you know, it's just a grading system, you know, for to say, okay, this was a, a solid session. You're not knocking shit out of the park, but this was a very good training session. And um, I think the biggest issue now is that most guys do a lot of routine hopping or a lot of, uh, uh, they do a lot of routine changing, and I think it's one of the reasons why so many of the, like, new training methods get, you know, somebody jumps on a new training idea or method is because a lot of guys think there's some kind of big secret that's being withheld from them about how to get bigger and stronger. And, you know, kind of this is something that me and Jonah talked about. It's like the, the biggest secret is just consistency over a long period of time. Um, 
people look at like Andy Bolton and say, okay, Andy deadlifted a grand. They don't realize Andy deadlifted 600 pounds the first time he tried it. And I think he, he won his first comp in like 91. So you know, give or take a few years, it took Andy something like 20 years to add that 400 pounds to his deadlift. Um, I did a Q&A with Stan Efforting uh, last week. And Stan said basically his deadlift hasn't moved for the most part in 16 years. And uh, yeah, I remember Dave Tate talking about uh, like working his ass off to add five pounds to his bench press for like a whole year. Um, you know, guys don't realize once you get closer to your ceiling, the the amount of work that you have to put in to make uh, the, the extra ten pounds here for the year is, is exponentially more than you had to when you're not as close to your strength or size ceiling, and you can just kind of train haphazardly and hit a PR every now and then. Um, I had a guy ask me once in the gym, and I just got done benching, and I had benched like four something, I don't know, and he, he, and I get up, you know, he comes over, and he tells me he's competing in this corporate challenge, I don't know if you guys, you probably know maybe a little bit about that, Phil, I don't know if they, they have that out here sometimes, that sprint and stuff. Yeah. And he was going to do like the bench portion of it, and he asked me, he's like, what should I do to increase my bench press? And I, I told him to bench press, and he looked at me like I told him to go fuck a reindeer. <laughs> And he, and he, this is what he said to me. He said, what will that do? I, I mean, I, just, I look at that. It's like, really? You, you're going to be in a bench press challenge and I'm telling you to, to bench press and he doesn't understand how that works. Because everybody thinks there's something, something, some secret to do to, to get better, to get bigger and stronger than everybody's. I mean, how many times have you guys looked and seen the cover of a magazine and it's like so and so secret program and, and that's a lot of what sells, but, What's not sexy is to tell guys to just go in and squat, pull, and press three times a week and do that for a long period of time. So kind of how I look at it for like the 80-10-10 rule is that the longer you have nothing but 80% sessions, because a lot of people go, well, that's just an average session. No, it's consistency. And the longer you have those 80% sessions over time, um, the the more success you're going to have in the long run. And, you know, then you end up having less of those negative 10 sessions and more of those plus 10 sessions. But you, the whole point is just to be consistent week in and week out. And that's really the key to, to getting to where you want to be. It doesn't mean that you're going to deadlift a 1,000 pounds because you're probably not. But it does mean that you're going to get closer to your genetic ceiling as far as your um, what you're capable of doing. So I mean, it's just kind of it's just kind of a grading system that I use, and I see more guys kind of picking that up, and I really think if more guys kind of if you put it in a training log and looked out like in a spreadsheet over time, and you had a and you had one column where you could look at like if you had eighty percent sessions of negative tens, and you were really critical about how you graded it, well, if you could look right down that column and see, okay, I've got like so many negative 10% sessions and so few plus 10s and like just kind of a mix of 80s here and there, yeah. it gives, kind of gives you a base, okay, what is it that's going wrong in my training? Yeah. What What do you do then? I mean, that's it kind of goes back to the old thing and, and the reason why kind of classic periodization doesn't work, you know, mapping out a, a four years of training and, and expecting <laughs> to hit this day on, you know, 18 months from now I'm going to hit this um, <laughs> right. on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Um, you know, so how do you, um, you know, take into account that you're going to have plus 10 and negative 10 days in your training? I mean, what do you do if you have a negative 10 day? I, I don't, I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's the biggest thing. Is that that's the other part about having a, a negative 10 or a plus 10. This is how I look at those anymore. You have to look at them as anomalies. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you went in, it's kind of like, we, you know, we talked about this past week. I hit a 405 incline uh, Monday. And um, it was a PR, but that was not what I consider a plus 10 day. And I'll tell you why. Because I've been good for that 405 for a while. Because of all the 80s, you know what I'm saying? All the 80% sessions I've had, good sessions. I knew I'd been tripling 365 and hitting 315 for 8 to 9 every week. But it was just, all right, this Monday I decided, all right, I'm going to go ahead and go for a 405. Well, I missed it the week before because I had a, a, a really shitty session. So I knew on just a regular day it was there. And sure enough, I went in this past Monday and, and it was there. So um, that's the big thing is. You hear a lot of guys, they have a really a really crappy session, and then what they do is oftentimes is they overhaul everything, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, man, the session sucks. i got to go in and do something different. Yeah. Um, the biggest one I used to hear was uh, somebody was suffering from CNS burnout, and I, I wrote about that quite a bit. And um, I'm like, dude, if your central nervous system burned out, you're going to have more to worry about than bench pressing. Um, and I think... Uh, I wrote a lot, like a little bit about that and looked up research and some of that stuff. And guys need to kind of let some of that stuff go and just realize that um, when you have swings, I, in the last month I've had PRs on incline, um, my block deadlifts, um, and quite a few things. And when that happens, you have to know kind of the pendulum swing in training is that whenever that happens, you're going to also kind of hit that wall in a few weeks too. And you guys probably know what I'm talking about. Um, is after you hit a bunch of nice lifts, there's kind of that period in there where you stall a bit and then you kind of fall off. And I don't really sweat that fall-off period. When that fall-off period comes, I take like a week or five days off until I feel hungry again, and then I just go right back at it. And, and I don't revamp and overhaul everything because I just kind of understand that that's part of the process now. Hey, Paul, let me, let me ask you the flip side of that. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were talking about this, but... Um, a kid in the gym asked me, he said, you know, Lonnie, what do you do if you have a stellar day? So like a plus 10 day here in the way you're describing it. Um, you know, you're saying if you do poorly, people have a tendency to want to try to reprogram everything. Well, what do you do in the case of a really awesome day? Do you hit a couple of PRs, whatever? Should, um, you know, should a young guy say, oh, I'm just going to readjust all my weights up here? Do you take that in stride? Do you ignore it like it didn't happen? What would you suggest to somebody like that who has a really killer day, um, you know, as opposed to a really bad day? Yeah, I, I think you, you approach it the same way. You just just keep whatever it is that you do. I guess the, the difference there is you just ask yourself how you got there. Um, and if you got there, just being consistent, like I said, with enough of a, those 80% days stacked on top of each other, just keep doing what you've been doing, like I said, until you kind of feel like you fall off that cliff. And then take time off until, what I tell guys is until you feel mentally hungry again. Because a lot of guys go, oh, I'm going to take a week off. And then they take three days off or they take four days off and they go back in. But the truth is they don't they don't have that hunger to lift again yet. Um, so there's a little bit of what I call calibration in there about how you feel. Um, but if you have like a big session where you knock everything out of the park and that kind of stuff, I mean, that's kind of what you've been working for in a sense. Um, but again, I kind of toss it out there as an anomaly because how have you, you guys? Are, how many times have you walked into the gym and you felt like shit, had a bad day, but five to ten minutes into lifting, I mean, you know, you're going to knock some shit out the park that day. Um, you don't always know when that's coming, but obviously, there's for whatever reason, unknown to us, you can't time it. It just happens. So I still kind of consider those an anomalies. It's great if you have a bunch of them, 
but like I said, generally, to me, the pendulum swing's always been once you have four or five of those really big sessions, understand that you're going to fall off the cliff. It's uh, after a meet, how do you how do you feel? I mean, you, you basically train for months and months to go into a meet, and you try to hit all maximum weights on one day. What do you feel like the week after a meet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you feel like shit. And then you can't lift in. I mean, isn't that the weirdest feeling? You go in and you, you know, you're gonna you squat 650 on, you know, Sunday or whatever. And then later in that week, 315. It, I mean, you can barely unrack it. You, yeah. Your body's so big. It's such a weird thing. Right? And I, I kind of look at it that way. You, when those things happen, just take it in stride. Don't get, you know, it's kind of like winning or losing a football. Whenever you win, don't get too high on yourself. Whenever you lose, don't get too down. So uh, on that same topic of, you know, what do you do on those plus 10% days, I, I'll add something here in a bit, kind of what I do. But, I mean, do you just stick to your plan or do you go for it, no. you know, if you know it's that day? No, no, it's, uh, fuck that. If you got I call it a strike in the iron when it's hot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have mm-hmm. something there and you you know it's there, I mean, you need to go after it. You don't you don't yeah. necessarily know when that, that session is going to come back around again. Did you guys watch the, uh, the interview with uh, Captain Kirk and Rivertoe this past week? Yeah. And did you, did you, I love the, what he was talking about when he hit that thousand double, right? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't really planned. Yeah. He went in that day and it was there and he just did it. And it was like, what, a week out from, uh, from the worlds, right? Yeah. And, uh, he asked Cone, what was you doing? He's like, fuck yeah, I just done it. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't, it was just there that day, right? So he did it. And yeah. honestly, in some ways, that's all more awesome than anything he ever did on a platform, right? Yeah. So it was there, and he did it. And I, I always tell guys, man, if you have you're having one of those days, and you you want to go for it, go for it. Exactly, and I think that's the other thing that you know, I mean, back to periodization again, it doesn't take into account those days either. You yeah. know, if I, if I'm only set to do, you know, 650 pound deadlift for five singles, <clears> and <throat> I got 800 in me that day for five singles, I'm stupid not to take it. You yeah, know, you're but just, you know what, Phil? At the same time, just like you don't throw away your whole power progression, you know, your whole mesocycle or whatever you want to call it on a bad day, I don't think it's a good idea to say, "Oh, that was fantastic." I'm gonna, I'm gonna reset all my numbers. Oh 40 no, pounds I go higher. right back to the. Yeah, <laughs> I mean know? that's. I've kind of Fuck purposely that. I'm trained for thirteen hundred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I've kind of purposely made my training fit around this rule. I mean, you know, I plan for my days to be eighty percent days. Right. And then, you know, I, I hit my numbers. If I hit my numbers that I want, then I've earned the right to go up afterwards. You know, if I go in and I hit my sets and my reps and I kill them, it's like I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't go up right. if I know it's there. Right. And the same thing, I mean, though, the 80% days, if it feels just right, you know, okay, that felt good, then I'll just walk away happy. And, you know, if I go in and I can't hit it, you know, I'd get my first set and it's like, wow, that felt like hell. I was supposed to get three reps. I got two. I just walk out of the gym. It's just time to go. You know, um, I'm having a bad day. I might hit a couple things and just get the hell out of the gym, not worry about it. I'll come back and do do what I had planned anyways next time. Yeah. So. And there's even times when I've, uh, I guess another thing, uh, when sometimes it's not uncommon for me if I have a, a really bad day, like if I go into squat, and I, I have this thing in my head now, is that basically if my squat's going good, everything else is going good too. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like my bench could be in the shitter. It doesn't matter. My squat's going great, so everything feels fine. Um, but if I've, I've had plenty of bad squat days where I go in and I squat and it's not there and I go, I go back in the next day and squat and it's awesome. Yeah. And like I said, don't, I try to tell guys, don't, you know, you, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a guy write out like this session sucked. I got to 
rethink what I'm doing. I was like, dude, if you if you've been going along great at this point, just keep doing what you're doing and throw that session out. Yeah. So it's, and it's, you know what? Just just advice for listeners too. If you're thinking about this, you can't always pinpoint what the hell it is just made that iron so hot. You know, yeah. I mean, even with like we were talking about the sleep manager thing, this Zio thing, you can look at your sleep. Uh, that happened because this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I mean, everything was just floating off the floor, and I'm like, okay, this is really good. What did I do different? Did I sleep well? Did I caffeinate more? Did I eat better? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so it's really hard to put your finger yeah. on it sometimes. But at the same time, I agree with what Paul is saying. Sometimes you walk into the gym, and I don't know what it is. There's some kind of instinct that says this is gonna be this is gonna be good. You know, yeah. this is going to feel good. Right. So, anyway, yeah, sometimes it's hard. There's so many variables that go into those kinds of things. And I, I that, this harkens back to what you were saying, Phil. You can't period build, build all that into a periodization cycle. No. You know, you, you can obviously control what you can. I'm not saying be reckless and just let fate and chance guide your training. That's foolish. But at the same time, I mean, you're measuring as much as you can. But uh, none of these things are guarantees that, you know, I don't know, that that sort of uh, gym magic is going to happen and you're just going to, you know, hear about meat magic. But sometimes you walk into the gym and there's just, everything feels right. You know, the, everything you smell and hear and everything you do is just rocking, you know. Yeah, yeah and so. I, I, actually do, I actually do do like a form of periodization for my meat planning. However, yeah. the difference is, is that I do factor in those things. Um, cause I have what I call, I do, ba- I do a lot of back offsets, like back offsets. I mean, on your back offsets, there's a lot of testing that goes on to see where you're at during that point in time. Um, and then you adjust through each phase. So like the first three weeks, how I kind of have guys program this is like the first three weeks you plug in like your, what you're going to hit for your opener. And it's based off of like a certain percentage for your opener. So you could actually walk in and let's say you're taking a month off, um, and you plug in your opener, and you get three weeks to kind of get, you're not beating the shit out of yourself, um, but then you test every third week to kind of see where you're, on the third weeks you test, kind of test to see where you're at, and then you plan out your second attempt, and then you train off that for the next three weeks, so it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's small mini cycles based into the whole meso cycle, and I think plotting out a cycle, because you know guys did used to do it that way, plot out 12 and 16 week cycles, and I've tried to do that before, and it's, like, I figured out about seven to nine weeks is as far as I can go. Mm-hmm. And when you start talking about 12 and 16 weeks, I have no idea how guys can do that. Like, I, yeah. there's too many variables inside of, like, 12 or 16 weeks for me um, that when you get out that far, it makes it too difficult to understand, like like we're talking about, all the things that are going to happen and how you're going to feel. Because you, sometimes you start out a cycle and you feel kick-ass, and then you get seven weeks in, and shit that should have been moving easy is not anymore. And so it's hard to factor in how you're going to feel during those times. And, and you don't, the other thing that Lonnie was hitting on that is you don't always know why, but sometimes I personally think a lot of the things is what's happening in your personal life and how much external stress that you have outside the gym uh, that can take a huge toll. Some people can channel that. Like my wife, if she's pissed off at me, she'll go in and crush some weights for her. Yeah. But I'm actually one of those guys, I can't. Like, if I'm mad at, like, something going on, like, I don't really, I, for whatever reason, I can't channel that onto the waist. When I'm, yeah. and actually, when I'm having a, like, a when everything's going really well, I tend to have my best training sessions. Yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, and I, I think I think I'm the same way as far as periodizing things out. I mean, I have long-term goals. Like, I know for my, I'm going to do a meet at the end of this year. And I have numbers that I want to hit in in March. Exactly. And I have numbers I want to hit, but I don't have a plan to get there yet. I just know that I need to hit this number in March. Right. And I need to hit this number next August. 
Um, but as far as the planning goes, it's usually eight weeks. And then I'll see where I'm at. This is interesting that both you guys are saying. I would have guessed you guys could last longer than that. And let me, let me say what I mean first. Hey, hey. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because, you know, I've always looked at thinner, more ectomorphic guys, you know, can't go, you know, the, like I hear guys all the time in the gym talking about going 10, 12 week cycles or, or something like that. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not that thick. You know, I'm, I'm not quite as robust. My nervous system isn't that robust, but to back up what you're saying, Years ago, I was in Finland, and there were some very famous researchers, and I don't have the actual reference, but they were actually suggesting, and we're talking about Hakkinen and some of the guys, you know, early guys that did a lot of the International Olympic Committee work and that kind of stuff, but they said, and I remember writing it down on everything, peak strength in about six weeks. Mm -hmm. So they were talking about six weeks to peak strength, Uh, and I thought that was very interesting, and in light of what you guys are saying, it does make sense because with all these variables, all these balls in the air that you've got to juggle, emotional, nutritional, sleep, you know, work, yada, 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 then at least that's a briefer period. You've got to keep all those balls in the air, you know, so I it kind of like makes sense. Point, I would just like to point out real quickly that during that discussion, Phil, that Lonnie said that we couldn't go very long, that he was really thick and there's a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, Fantastic. Uh, and earlier he was talking about playing with that device. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So you know what? That's a really that's is so uh, everything you just said really true. Is that that's kind of why my at nine weeks um, I find the first three weeks um, I just kind of go in even for my meat training. If I don't overdo my first three weeks, the last six weeks that is so fucking true, Lonnie. The last six weeks will be kick ass. And the first few weeks, I just, I intentionally have to not kill myself. Like, go in, just kind of get moving. Because, like, the next two weeks before I lift, I'll just do some fun stuff. I don't really, you know what I mean? It's after 23 years, I don't need to, to go in and kill myself right now. But it doesn't take long to hit your right peak strength. And you can only hold that, like, where you're you're going in and you're hitting your very best. You can only hold that. And I think uh, when... Uh, me and Eric Lillibers talked about that. It's kind of a like a one-week period on either side of the meet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's There's only a short period where you're kind of in that zone where you're going to be hitting your very best weights. And that seems about right. And like you, you say on eight weeks, Phil, and I got nine weeks. But like I said, my first three weeks are pretty light. Yeah. So that seems about right. Almost like a pre, like a yeah, pre mesocycle kind of thing, or something. yeah, it is because it's just based off your opener. So you're going in, uh, you you just get your work in, you get in and out, and then the next three weeks, uh, that's based on your second attempt, are pretty difficult. And from all the guys that have run my program that have gotten back with me, the last few weeks they tell me, you know, it's difficult to recover from about the last two weeks of the training cycle, and then you get obviously the week off before the meet. And then you go into the meet where you should have a certain amount of super compensation going on there. You know what, Paul? You're the first person we've had on that had anything quantitative to say about how long that peak lasts. Because we've talked before about how how brief a bodybuilding peak lasts. You know, I mean, you go from ripped to water ball. You know, you know, in right. a fairly short period of time. And uh, and Phil's always talking about how you know a peak by definition has a valley on either side. Yep. Um, but that's you know, that's the first time I've actually heard you know plus or minus yeah. maybe a week or two you know maybe even one week on either side. That's yep. good to know. I think that's handy info for readers you know or listeners. Yeah, no, I I I really believe in that. I think that that that's kind of how your training should be. You know, kind of like you talked about Lonnie, whereas you have a few weeks where every time you go in and things are just flying off the floor, 
Um, you're going to have a period, it's like I talked about earlier, I've hit some PRs in the last probably four to five weeks. Expect that to fall off. And it's, this, yeah, it's the peaks and valleys. So it's, if you look at it on a curve, you'd be going up the hill. And how you'd want to time it is, is, is right there when you're at the meet, you're at the very top of that hill. And then kind of when you miss something that you've hit in training, you might be too far on the other side of that hill. Mm-hmm. And, or you could not, you might, might not be quite there yet. And the, obviously the key is, is to kind of to go in where your body weight's right. Um, you've hit everything you needed to hit, and I try not to grind. And I don't know uh, how you go about it, um, Phil, and, uh, and or Rob. I don't know how you guys go about it, but I try not to do too many grind, too much grinding. I'm, now I'm talking about grinding after everything Lonnie said. Um, I try not to do too much, too many grinding lifts the last couple of weeks either. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it should be heavy, but if I'm doing it like a, if I'm doing a pull or a squat, man, it's really tough. Um, I like to hit about 93%, which will be usually be my second attempt uh, for my last heaviest set on squats or bench, and it should almost fly. Yeah. And that's two weeks before the meet then, roughly? Yes, yeah, roughly two weeks, and I'll pull my last heavy dead like 10 days out, and I and then you know just resting from there. But I usually like to hit somewhere but like 93% on my squat and bench, but it should feel solid. It shouldn't be a grinder. Yeah. And no, I agree 100%. Um, I do that in most of my training. Um, if I'm grinding stuff out, it's usually not like right now, anything heavy I'm going for, I'm looking to kill it. Right. Um, if I'm grinding something, I'm wrapping it out. Um, right right now. And I think a lot of that, it goes into the mental aspect of it. You know, if I go into a meet and I know nothing but killing weights, you know, and not grinding things out, that's all I'm going to remember. Yeah. You know, that's what I've trained myself for is to go in there and kill them. And I come in there with 100% confident that I'm going to. That's, I'm going to kill stuff. Yeah, and that's the key word is confidence, and a lot of guys don't understand that. Is if, if that's, that's so true. If you go in and everything that you've picked up or squatted or pressed, you've crushed, Yeah, you can walk in with confidence knowing that at minimum, like, you, you know, your opener, your second attempt, you should go in and smoke that like nothing. Yeah. And then, you know, you got whatever you're going to go after for your third attempt, but at least then you set yourself up for Because I've heard guys say stuff like, well, if you didn't miss, then you didn't go heavy enough. And I, I think that's bullshit. Uh, the, to me, the key for good plan, like you never heard a coach going, "Well, if you, if you didn't lose a ball game, you didn't try hard enough." <laughs> I mean, to me, you should. The whole point of training, you're going to spend, you know, however many months training and all the eating and everything that you do to try to go in and to do your very best. But you're going to go in and then, you know, go after something then that you're going to miss or. I mean, you should. Your training should be set up in a way that puts you in the the best percentage for success when you go to the, out to the, either the platform or your bodybuilding, your sports, or whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, to me, if you go nine for nine, and I've had guys, you know, that I've worked with, you know, go nine for nine, hitting the personal best on their thirds every time, that's, to me, what a perfect day should look like. Yeah. And that means that your training went perfect, your preparation, you know, in all aspects was perfect, and then, then the meet day went perfect for you, and that, to me, is winning. Whether or not you win your weight class or not, if you went out there and you hit PRs on your thirds and that was as good as you can get, that's that's pretty much all you can ask for. Exactly. I mean, yeah, and I think the key there, though, is you're talking about they're going for PRs on their thirds. I've seen people come in and their only worry is I want to go nine for nine so they take crap they've already done before. That's, no, that's It's like, what's the point in that? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know? I, no, I, I mean, the whole point, purpose, yeah, is that you should hit a PR um, on your on your either second or thirds, yeah. to me, every meet. And if you miss, you can say, okay, I had a bad day, but 
Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's not to show up. I can go 9 for 9. I'm just going 135, 225. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll get me a shirt that says 9 for 9, all white lights. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I think it's a, you know, I think a lot of it, you can't underplay the confidence part of it. I think too many people start planning training out, and they, they almost plan for nothing but 10% days. The plus 10% days. Yes. And they're going too heavy too soon, and they're not looking to punch that clock and just put in the days and put in the, the volume, the time under the bar. You know, you the, guys, the, if I can offer something very geeky, the uh, if you look like in statistics, a normal distribution, right? So think of the bell curve. The average workout day, right, would be right at the mean. Plus or minus one standard deviation, that's about 68% of your workouts right there. Okay, so... That's almost like what we're saying with the 80% rule here. Um, right. In stats, we'd say 68% of all your workouts are going to fall right around this average. You know, or like you're saying, some sort of like a, as a teacher, a B plus or a B quality workout. Not good, yeah. not bad, not yes. hitting out of the park, but you know, it's sort of normal distribution. And often in medicine, if something falls more than two standard deviations away from the average, so you know, not in the 95% bulk. Uh, then it's considered abnormal and requiring treatment. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I just, I just see an analogy here. Again, I know I'm a geek, but I see this analogy where what you're saying is plus or minus one or two standard deviations. But literally, the laws of chance say most of your workouts are going to fall there. You might as well value those, enjoy those, and use that as your building because you've only got like a 2.5% chance on either end, high or low, that you're going to have one of those stellar sessions or really sucky sessions, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's all like laws of averages. I don't know. No, that, right. no that's that's exactly what the... the, the and I, you know what? It probably, Lonnie, is I would say that probably even 68% might even be a better number, but the, you know, it's just a, you know, it's a grading session, but that might even be closer to reality. Um, something like that, 68 or 75% or whatever. Um, well, but, like in stats outside of that 68%, you'd be in like the upper or lower, like roughly, you know, 14%, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where there'd be awesome versus suck, you know, and then there's actually like a 2% super extreme high and low, you know, when you just kind of chop up these bell curve graphs. Right. And those would be ones where, like, literally, like, all-time PR, you know, on one end, or, I don't know, uh, get stapled to the floor, you know, right. on, the, on the low end. You know? Right. And you yeah. know what would be, um, if, and I, I mean, I don't know that we, we could ever get there, because like you said, there's too many variables involved, but obviously the, the perfect way of training would be um, that you could go in and have nothing but 80% and plus 10% sessions for, you know, basically your most of your training life. Mm-hmm. And if there was a way that you could basically get in touch, I don't know, with your biorhythms or, you know, just, I, I mean, I've even seen guys now, um, I don't know if you guys watch uh, a lot of MMA, but uh, Vanderlei Silva actually does, like, he gets his blood tested, um, like, on all his training sessions to see... You know, check all of you know the various hormones and stuff in his body uh, to see how it's reacting to the stress of his training, and then they adjust his training based on that too. Um, I don't know. Obviously, we'd ever get to that point, but it, you know, it's kind of one of those, like you said, Lonnie, kind of a geeky thing. I get in my mind and think, okay, if you could look at all the variables and then adjust your your programming a- as you went on the fly, however, having something programmed in at the same time, 
that would keep you from having any of those down sessions. Um, I mean, that would be ideal. However, on the same side, I think it's kind of like, um, I think those down sessions are almost a requirement by the body, it feels like. Um, you, you ask yourself to get bigger and get stronger and repair and grow and do all those things. It's not something the body really wants to do. You force it to do it. And then it seems like that adjustment period on the other side where everything takes a downturn. Like you're really, you're generally tired during that time, so you need to sleep more. You're hungrier. Um, and, but you can't lift a lot at that time. And it seems like after you come through that, you kind of hit, like you said, that bell curve going back up where you start having more 80% sessions and a few of the tens and then you kind of drop off again. It's kind of that up and down scale. Um, it'd be a great way, obviously, if you could time those things out perfectly. If, if you could do that, obviously, it's like Phil and I were talking about, you could go into meets and just and kick ass every time. But there's a lot of variables involved um, that would make that almost impossible. No, that's good stuff, guys. Um, let's go back into some things. I just want to, we're getting to the end here. We've got a, just a couple minutes left. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add on the subject of that? I mean, is there, you know, we've kind of touched on how you, you just don't worry about the negative 10 days and you strike when the iron's hot and 80% days are just there. Um, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, though. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think what Lonnie was saying, kind of the, uh, you get those like kind of plus 20% days. It's, uh, I think the only ones of those for me actually are meats. You know, and that's something, I don't know if you can plan for that, or I think it's just individual there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that are, I don't know, they call them meat lifters and gym lifters. And to me, the worst thing you can be is a gym lifter if you're competitive. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that's that all boils down to the psychology of it um, and your, your, your confidence going in and just, uh, me, for me, it's confidence is huge. And it's just going in knowing I know nothing but making the lift. You know, because, I mean, I've had strings of lifts there where, like a deadlift, I didn't miss a deadlift for four and a half years. Right. Well, you know and what, Phil? This sounds like uh, like Sun Tzu, you know, the old Japanese general who would talk, part. you know, only choose battles you've already won. Yeah. And, and that's why you kick ass in meets, bro, because you don't go in there and say, I think I'll try to pull a 1,000 pounds off the floor today. That's <laughs> well, a no. You've but, all I mean, I've... lost. No offense. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, um, but at the, in the same token, though, I go in and I always take a PR on my second. That's what my second's for. I go into meets thinking, you know, I'm not here to do shit I've done before. I'm going for a small PR on my second. I'm Still going aggressive. big on my third. Right. Still aggressive. Yeah, so, but, I mean, it's coming to that bar, and all I know, I don't think about even what's on it. I'm going to deadlift. What do I do when I deadlift? I take grab the bar and I stand up with it. Right. Um, and that's from just packing on session after session after session after session of just making lists. That, and I think too many people go in and they fail too often. They project their list too high um, and just beat themselves down mentally. Yeah. Right. But, Phil, exactly, you're, you're saying exactly what I'm getting back to about. You just said, well, go, there was a time where you didn't miss a deadlift for four years. That's, that's consistent, smart training. And the reason why your deadlift is to where it is, is is obviously because of consistent, smart training. You you don't look back necessarily on those times and think to yourself that you found some the, the holy grail of deadlift training. It was because you you were consistent in doing what you were doing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I get back to when I see guys. They ask questions. They see a guy that's stronger or bigger. They ask, how did you do? You know, I don't have like a, like, you know, I get approached by guys in the gym and they're like, you know, what should I do for, like, I don't really have, it sounds funny, but I don't have like a quick and dirty answer. I'm just like, just eat a lot of food and train your ass off. (laughs) And like, they don't, they always say like, what supplements should I take? I'm like, dude, just eat food. 
So no, I agree. I mean, I think ninety percent of people people worry too much about the assistance crap. When ninety percent of the world could get better at just squatting, pressing, and deadlifting. Yep. If that's all they did, if they put ninety nine percent of their attention to that, the whole world in general would be a lot stronger and a lot bigger. Yeah, and that, that's, I actually had that as a challenge for a lot of a lot of the guys, a lot of my readers out on the blog is for the next year, just squat, uh, press, and pull three times a week, and then do conditioning twice a week. And in a year, I promise you, you will be a lot better than you were this year. Yeah, it's and funny you guys are talking about that because powerlifters are obviously doing the same thing bodybuilders do. You know, as you learn new movements, you learn new exercises, accessories, techniques. You naturally explore those, but then as you kind of graduate from intermediate to more advanced, everybody comes back to the core, you know, to the core movements. So sort of for you know, for you guys, it's you know, squat, bench, and dead. For bodybuilding, you know, it's actually quite similar <laughs> to, yeah. to be yeah. truthful. But you know, most people start exploring uh, too widely. You know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. I think Phil says that sometimes. Yeah. You know, so uh, you, no, you got to have a reason for it. You know. And you know that that's that's such the truth because you ever look at uh, I look at you know, when they you go to these websites and you see like beginner routine I'll be like damn that looks like what I do <laughs> mm-hmm. you know because it'll be like right. okay you full see circle squat. yeah you, it, exactly and like the intermediate routines I look at them and go Jesus I could never survive that workout <laughs> you know and I'm like how's that I must be only be an intermediate now I've been training for twenty something years now and I'm only an intermediate staff so I'll never make it to advanced level. And so, like, now even going for, uh, I've already got my meat stuff pretty much planned out. Literally, like, Saturday morning, I'm going to I'm gonna squat, and I'll do some Paul squats afterwards, which has become a big staple for a long time. Uh, and then Monday, I'll bench and incline, and that's it. And then, uh, like, Wednesday, I'll do block deadlifts and deadlifts. And that's literally the whole thing. Yeah. And that, there's nothing else. Yeah. It's just a beginner routine. I'm just, just going for beginner results. There you go. And, uh, well, hey, I mean, beginners make that progress from week to week, so <clears throat> there's got to be something good about that. Yep. Yeah. I, I think just the whole keep it simple, uh, yeah. thing is it just a, like, it's, like Lonnie said, it just comes full circle, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and then you always wish, uh, if I could go back in time, I, well, I really wouldn't have changed anything that I was doing in the beginning because that shit seemed to work. No, I agree. And then, um, you know, I think the only time you, you touched on it briefly, I mean, I think the only time people change too often, the only time you should change is, say, you pack on seven, eight, ten negative tens in a row right. or in a short period of time, you better start thinking about then something. Then something's wrong, right. Yeah. And Phil, you're stuffing your face, aren't you, mister? I am. I got a big hamburger <laughs> in my mouth. Yeah. Practice what you preach. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got to get my weight up, man. So... Yeah, and we got to uh, we we need to get Phil's actually close to me. So, yeah, we're about probably forty minutes apart. Forty minutes apart, so we yeah. got, we got to get together for some some training soon. For sure, you know we'll put a we'll video some of it, and, and uh, I'll wear what I was wearing in my Christmas card. Oh, that uh, you know, I'll, I'll, if you do that, I'll wear what you're wearing in your Christmas card too, and uh, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll sell it. I know some stuff yeah. we could probably put that on. Yeah, I bet Jim would help. I Jim think probably I put it on his Jim, side. Jim probably knows a lot of sites we can put. Yeah, on. I'm keeping out of this one. <laughs> I, I, I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't condone this. Uh, uh. 
That's good. We we just gained a whole new listenership with that right. one well, I can short talk. If somebody, I'm telling you, I'm if somebody emails me asking about that, I'm I'm going to blame you now, Phil. Her, everything. <laughs> That's not, I'll take the blame. You I'll brought take the it blame. up. You brought it up first. <sighs> yeah. So no, we'll definitely do that, and uh, you know, I'll give a shout out here whenever we do it, and uh, and stuff like that. But um, well, you got a let's full, get, you got a full setup right out at your place, right? Yeah, I don't have a, a, a mono rack or anything, a mono lift, um, I walk but I got all, everything else. I walk all my shit out anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, you can walk out, uh, and, uh, yeah, I got three racks, a bench, a bunch of weights, so. That's all we need. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we'll get together for sure. Um, I want to mention your blog again, because we never really mentioned where everybody can go see it. It's uh, com. Lift runbang.com um, got a lot of good articles up there you've got well, what did you say like three four years of archives yeah I've, I've got probably I think it's going on um, let's see I think 2009 that's like three years now that I've, I've been writing articles and stuff out there and there's I got interviews with uh, Stan Efferding there's one from Constantine Offs out there and there's one from uh, uh, Eric Willibridge and I even did one with a really hot chick named Rachel Guy um that's out there, and uh, I keep my training log out there uh, for the most part. And uh, what I try to do is I try to do one article a week, and then I try to do a uh, what I call thoughts about life, craft, training, and stuff, where I just kind of talk about bullshit. Gotcha. And then I try to do a Q and A once a week, uh, and then even on the Q and A, I welcome any kind of whatever comments. I talk about everything from playing Xbox 360 to you know driving cars so at least you're consistent right this is the same rule that you were talking about with training just make yep. sure it comes out every week you know? yeah that's uh, i mean like i said that's the whole point of uh life the longer you're consistent the the better things uh that are going to happen to you so uh um same kind of same kind of deal right <clears throat> that sounds good well i'll get a hold of you soon and uh thanks for joining us for sure no thanks for having me and uh and thanks to jim for uh recommending me uh this makes up for all the uh, cactus pictures he sent to me. Yeah, there you go. We got to get him here to the Midwest sometime, and we'll uh, all talk shop and throw some lights around too. Yeah, that would be a good idea if we could get him out there. You know, if we if we could do that, we could we could have like a videotape. We could give him that poster of uh, the the Santa Claus. That would be good. Oh, yeah, that would be. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, we can. I'll I'll custom make him a singlet with that printed on for his next meet. You know, um, if you decided to do that. I will split the cost with. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay, we'll right, thank the listeners. This episode is done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, everybody. Um, we'll talk to you next week. All right. All right. <sighs>
everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here, I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I wanna have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.